Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Inspiring you to bring God back into the conversation of the day. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. Well, good morning on this Thursday, the 3rd of March, 2022. We have, of necessity, been focused uh, this week on events continuing to unfold in Ukraine, and we will turn our attention um, to that in the second half of this hour and in uh, the next hour as well. Actually, we're going to spend part of our conversation with Ben Johnson on the topic as well. But I wanted to make you aware of a couple of other headlines as we enter into this day. For those of you just joining us maybe for the very first time, My name is Carmen LaBerge. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen on the Faith Radio Network. Welcome to brand new listeners today, including Darius, who I met yesterday and invited to join us. And standing right there, he downloaded the uh, Faith Radio app and uh, highlighted this particular program so that uh, he wouldn't miss an episode. So good morning, Darius, and everybody else listening, uh, listening today. Thank you for including me in your day. I count it an absolute privilege to be with you right now. Uh, preparing for whatever lies ahead in the in the moments and hours to come. Um, I hope that, like me, you have started your day in the Word of God. Uh, there's there's no other way to start the day as a Christian before the Lord in prayer, opening ourselves to what God has to say to us through His Word, because that changes. Well, it changes everything else, right? Right. It changes the moment by moment realities um, going forward from the time that I spend with the Father. In his word, um, I'm reminded of who he is and his sovereignty and grace. And so let me encourage you to be in the word of God before you get out there into the world that God so loves today. A couple of headlines to touch on. Um, one, I, you know, some some of this is my opportunity to read really, really widely and then um, make you aware of things that well, a lot of other people aren't talking about uh, so that you might be able to introduce a storyline into the conversation of the day that might provide people an opportunity to think about things differently or see the world a little bit differently. So here's one out of South Africa. I can tell you that in my lifetime, uh, we've never read this kind of headline because since 1968, there has only been one king of the Zulu people. That's right. Um, the, the, The king of the Zulu people died last year. And then a controversy arose about the rightful heir to the throne because uh, the king had named as his successor one of his wives. She would be the queen regent of the Zulus. Um, But she died about a month after the king. And so the rightful heir to the throne is the deceased king's eldest son. But that had to actually be adjudicated in South African court because, after all, we're talking about a huge landmass, 12 million Zulu people, uh, and, uh, and you know, no small fortune, like financial fortune. And so a South African court ruled yesterday that, in fact, uh, the eldest son of the deceased king is now uh, not only the prince-in-waiting, the king-in-waiting, but he is now, or will be, uh, after a ceremony, the king of the Zulu people. Um, it, it's... Uh, you know, largely um, ceremonial in terms of 
the role that this individual plays in South Africa. But it's not just ceremonial to the 12 million Zulus who make up South Africa's largest ethnic population. And so um, why bring this up? Because from a worldview perspective, every time there is a conversation about a people having a king, and in this case, a people who are actually living under another higher authority, like, right, in this case, the South African government is the actual authority. In fact, so much so that a South African court decided whether or not uh, this person would, in fact, be the king of the Zulu people. So there is a higher authority being appealed to here. And yet the people still want their king. What does that remind you of? Totally reminded me of 1 Samuel chapter 8, where the Israelites, who are under the higher authority of God, they are God's people after all, but they say, you know, stomping around mad, we want a king, we want a king. I mean, there's not actually chanting recorded in scripture, but that's what I imagine was going on. Like, we want a king. Here's what it says in 1 Samuel chapter 8, because we want to be like all the other nations. So we want a king. We want a king to lead us. Uh, to go out before us and to fight our battles. God was their king. Like, they missed the whole reality of the higher authority uh, accessible to them in real time. So, anyway, I thought of that when I read the headline out of South Africa about uh, the naming of a new Zulu, or king of the Zulu people. All right, we're going to have to wait um, for other headlines because I don't want to keep Ben Johnson waiting any longer. We love talking with Ben. We're going to survey some of the headlines out of Ukraine. We're also going to talk about something going on in Vermont related to uh, parents being allowed to use vouchers for private Christian schools. You're going to want to know about that. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LaBurge, and this is Faith Radio. My right, a right given by God to live a free life, to live in freedom. Ben Johnson joins us again today. He's a media reporter for the Daily Wire. He's also uh, the rights writer. You can find him at dailywire.com. Morning, Ben. Good morning, Carmen. I don't know what provoked it, but people are reporting in um, with the weather where they are. So uh, David reporting in from Dilworth, Minnesota, informing me that it is minus four degrees. So he Ooh. says it's still winter. There you go. Um, here's the good news, David. Um, it, it, it's not always winter and there will be Christmas. So there's a little <laughs> reference there uh, to the Chronicles of Narnia. Ben, um, let's talk about... What's going on in Ukraine? We have pulled lots of threads of this story with, you know, in lots of conversations over the past several days, and we'll continue to do so. One word that we have not talked about, and I would love to have you help us unpack, is denazification. A denazification. So um, give us the context of uh, Putin's use of this term and then help us understand what it might possibly mean. Right. Well, when uh, Vladimir Putin was giving his reason for invading Ukraine, he said that uh, part of the reason he was doing this was to fight Nazis and he wanted to carry out the denazification of the region. He said that uh, there are areas in eastern Ukraine, uh, the so-called People's Republic of Donetsk and Luhansk, where there are ethnic Russians who are being persecuted by ethno-nationalists who are Ukrainian. And, uh, you know, he's saying that the government is deeply involved in perpetrating ethno-nationalism of a Ukrainian sort against 
uh, against the Russian people. Uh, let's just start with the obvious. Ukraine is not a Nazi nation. The president, Volodymyr Zelensky, is Jewish. Uh, he lost relatives in the Holocaust. So he's, he's clearly not a Nazi person or a Nazi sympathizer. Now, you, you, that's the clear point. Now, we have to be very clear, and I, I think that it's a complex issue, but our, our listeners are very intelligent, so they can handle the complexity. Ukraine does have a long history of ethno-nationalism and anti-Semitism. Uh, you know, the largest university in Ukraine set up a teaching gig and conferred a PhD on David Duke. Uh, mm. The militia, uh, once uh, has, there's a militia there called the Azov Group, which uh, wears Nazi insignia, including the swastika on its uniforms. Uh, the UN accused it of torturing ethnic Russians in those regions, Donetsk and Luhansk, in 2014. And after that was done, the president of Ukraine at the time, Poroshenko, incorporated them into the military. So uh, that's there. There is some some truth to this, but what Putin doesn't tell you uh, is that uh, there, there there's there's more to this. You know, so those who heard that, I want you to hear me in a moment when I give you the other half of the story. But uh, I want to put this in context. This would be like Mexico declaring war on America because California and Texas used to belong to Mexico. Uh, President Obrador could say that there are a lot of Spanish-speaking Mexicans who identify more with Mexican culture and that uh, some Americans are racist against Mexicans. That's not false. It's just it's incomplete. It's the same way with Putin. His story isn't totally wrong. There is a kernel of truth, but it's incomplete. So everyone who heard what I said before Listen to this. When What Vladimir Putin will not tell you is that he starved millions of Ukrainians to death, uh, Joseph Stalin did in uh, the 1940s and 50s. Then he deported more than half a million Ukrainians to Russia, replaced them with ethnic Russians so they would always be loyal to Russia. He won't tell you that Russian intelligence also has links to neo-Nazis around the world, including the United States. And he won't tell you that leaders of the People's Republics of Donetsk and Luhansk were also accused of torturing and committing atrocities against ethnic Ukrainians. So it's not a case where either side are angels in this. Uh, there, there are people who are linked to uh, un unsavory ideas, obviously, in both places. What is very clear here, uh, people try and portray Putin as though he's insane or he's a new Hitler. Uh, he's not Hitler. Zelensky isn't Hitler. What he is, what Vladimir Putin is, is a former KGB agent who sees a former global superpower about to implode economically, disappear demographically, and become a second-rate power on order of France. And he's waging a ruthless war of choice against innocent civilians to gain territory, population, and resources because he knows no one is going to stop him. All right. And all of that, no slight against the French. <laughs> <laughs> or, or the Ukrainians. Uh, so we're very clear. It's a, it's a, now, it's a or the Russian people. I, so here's yes, the yes. here's the part of this. I think that every time I even every time I hear myself say Russia, and then you know fill in the blank, right? Russian forces, Russian, um, da, da, da. I am very very mindful. There are so many people in Russia standing in opposition to this war, and absolutely. Um, I'm, I am very mindful of the incredible challenges that the people in Russia now face and will face as a, basically a new Iron Curtain goes up around them uh, because of the actions of uh, their president, uh, Vladimir Putin. And so, yeah, there's so, so many um, parts of this conversation to have and will continue to do so in the coming days and weeks. I just really, that denazification word, I thought was one that we hadn't 
unpacked here and um, I thought you'd be particularly good at it and you have proven yourself uh, true to the calling. So thank you, Ben, for that. We're going to take a very, very brief pause. When we come back, we're going to talk about something going on in Vermont. It's in relationship to parents and their ability to use vouchers for private Christian schools. You don't want to miss this. We're talking with Ben Johnson. This is Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LaBerge, and we'll be right back. We're talking with Ben Johnson. He is a media reporter for The Daily Wire. You can find him at dailywire.com. Ben, what is going on in Vermont? I thought um, people could use school vouchers anywhere they wanted to. Yeah, uh, that's always how it's been presented. Matter of fact, I've even heard nobody, uh, no lesser authority on the left than Bernie Sanders defend the voucher program in Vermont at various times. But it's a little bit different now. Uh, We've talked in the past about areas that are sparsely populated, that uh, are so small they don't operate their own public schools. And that's the truth for more than a third of all the recognized municipalities in Vermont. Okay, you have to pause there. You have to pause there for a second because that's going to be a real surprise to anybody that lives in virtually anywhere in the United States of America. There are still places in the United States of America where there is no public school. Is that what you're telling me? Exactly. Exactly. So you're talking about uh, 36 percent of the state, the municipalities there don't have a public school or don't have a public school at every level of education. So. The only way that people can get education is either to go to a public school in another school district, you know, maybe another county, or to go to a private school. So the the, uh, state of Vermont gives people the choice, and you can use a public voucher at a private school. But in 1999, the uh, Vermont Supreme Court kind of legislated from the bench about public dollars going to religious schools. They said that uh, legislators had to have, quote, adequate safeguards against funding religion. And they didn't define what those were, so the state just pulled all funding from from religious schools out of the voucher program. So if you went to a private school that was secular, it was fine, a military academy or something, that was fine. But uh, if you went to a religious school, then they wouldn't fund you. Now, thankfully, the Supreme Court, U.S. Supreme Court, intervened in Espinosa v. Montana in 2020. They said that a state does not have to fund public uh, private school whatsoever, but if they do... They can't discriminate against religious schools because they're religious. If they meet the criteria for funding, as other private schools do, then they have to be eligible for those public funds. Well, uh, a federal judge last February ruled against the uh, current Vermont system, and uh, a lady who had been sending her two children to a Catholic school in uh, the town of Chittenden, population 1,190, uh, has uh, decided she she sued because they were not going to fund uh, the school that she she sent her children to. Uh, they'd said that uh, they had asked the school in question how much of their instruction was religious and how much was secular. Now, anybody who's asking this either is malicious against religious schools or is completely ignorant of how they operate. God's word it, it does not exempt any area of human endeavor. Uh, you know, the, the early church fathers talked about how all areas of learning lead to God and how they are all going forth in the same truth that God propounds. There's religious truth, there's secular truth. It's all one truth because our Lord is the way, the truth, and the life. So 
because of that, uh, there's no separation in Christian schools, religious schools, about uh, whether it's secular or whether, whether it's religious instruction. So they didn't know how to respond. So there's a court case going on right now about funding in Vermont. And um, I think we're going to get a big uh, move along the way from uh, nearby Maine because the exact same situation is going on there. In December, the Supreme Court heard arguments in Carson v. Macon which deals with this exact same issue. Uh, Maine is just in, uh, as sparsely uh, populated in so many areas as Vermont is. And this exact same question came up about funding Christian schools. So I think when we get that decision sometime between now and the end of the, the run in June or, or uh, early summer, we're going to have an answer as to how this is going to play out for the state of Vermont. Now, in the meantime, by the way, Vermont is trying to pass a bill endorsed by teachers' unions that would force religious schools, if they are going to accept public uh, public money, they have to adopt a, quote, non-discrimination amendment. So, I mean, that means, as you know, we've talked about this many times, that means potentially hiring gay or transgender teachers or allowing the formation of uh, various clubs that would promote this kind of a worldview, even though it violates their faith. If you're going to accept public money, you have to accept public regulation as well. And so that's that's an issue that uh, has always concerned me when it comes to the public funding of private and religious schools. And uh, that's going to endure no matter what the Supreme Court decides. You made me think there when you were talking about um, the sacred and the secular, like this attempt to separate and, and suss out the difference between the two. Um, Michael Lindsay, the former president of Gordon College, um, testified uh, I think pretty recently in that Gordon College case um, about whether or not professors are ministers. Um, and he, he actually just came right out and said, look, there there are no non-sacred disciplines at Gordon. Like, uh, I, I think he talked about joining the faculty of Gordon College um, being likened unto joining a religious order. He's like, you know, this we don't have uh, some kind of like religious function and some kind of secular educational function. Um, we're we're educating people in a particular worldview, uh, regardless of the discipline that they're studying. Uh, and so I think that this is a robust conversation. I think that there probably, um, Ben, are a lot of people who were raised to imagine that there is a division of the secular and the sacred. Um, we talk about a secular worldview. We maybe don't talk enough about the fact that as Christians operating out of a biblical or redemptive worldview— we see no distinction between uh, that, uh, you know, which would be un- in God's within God's interest or under God's uh, sovereignty, and that which is not. It, it's it's all His, every square inch. Uh, not one square inch, uh, exactly. So, uh, you know, we we constantly worry about this, and we guard against this as clergy. We preach about this. There can't be compartmentalization where you're a, you're a Christian on Sunday morning, and from Monday until Saturday we're secular. Uh, What we believe in is true Sunday and Monday and Tuesday, and it affects everything. And if it doesn't, then it's not really faith. You know, it's funny, the the founding generation really knew about this. They declared in the Northwest Ordinance of 1787, uh, and I quote, religion, morality, and knowledge being necessary to good government and the happiness of mankind, schools and the means of education shall forever be encouraged. So according to the founding generation, two-thirds of a school's job dealt with forming faith and character. So it can't be unconstitutional for the land of Ethan Allen to affirm the same thing, because you can't separate faith 
and our vocation in any discipline. Our faith affirms that we are created in the image and likeness of God. We've been given gifts in order to serve the rest of humanity, and not all of those are simply preaching the Word of God. It also means living out our faith day by day. That's really what it means to have faith, to put our faith into practice in love and in service, to hope and to uh, to build hope, to build faith, to build love, and to serve the people around us in the name of God. Mm, excellent. Excellent. All right, Ben, um, thank you as always so much. You guys can catch up with Ben Johnson at dailywire.com. You can also find him. He tweets at the rights writer. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LeBurge. This is Faith Radio. Indeed, uh, we are going down to the river to pray today. We have been praying for and with the people of Ukraine. Let me bring you a few updates on what's happening there. The United Nations uh, voted yesterday in an overwhelming sign of global condemnation of Russia's unjustified and unprovoked invasion of Ukraine, um, even as Russia stepped up its assault, laying siege to cities across Ukraine that uh, that military column that we have been describing to you all week uh, is now literally within striking distance of Kiev, some uh, 18 miles from the city's center. If you think about your own city where you live and put a dot right in the middle of it. And then, um, you know, remember that old compass? You could put the pencil on, you could put the point down on the paper and you could put a pencil out there and then you could make the thing draw a circle. Yeah. So just imagine that that's what's uh, what's underway um, in terms of laying siege to the capital city of Kiev, Ukraine. Columns of Russian armored military personnel do continue to move toward Kiev. Bombs rain down on the infrastructure and, yes, on civilian targets. Uh, schools, hospitals, apartment buildings, none of them are being spared. Um, in the nation's capital, lar- loud explosions. This is the Chiron right now across the bottom of my uh, media feed, um, loud explosions reported um, not only throughout the night. They're just beginning to uh, take note of uh, of all that's happening. Um, nobody's keeping count of the dead. I mean, you're going to hear wild, wildly um, divergent estimates in terms of the number of people killed. Uh, that's important to, to recognize and realize because that really wears on the psychology of a people. Uh, so they're they're hungry. Um, they are uh, without uh, electricity in some places. Um, in some cities, they are now without water um, or heat because those systems have been targeted by the Russians as well. Um, the nation's second largest city, Kharkiv, um, civilians have been uh, targeted there. And, um, and then Russian forces have taken the strategically significant port city of Kherson. Um, and so those are some of the headlines that you're going to hear today. Um, the uh, the United Nations, again, through its refugee program, is now reporting that a million people have already fled the country by routes that are becoming increasingly dangerous. Um, and so let's be praying as refugees enter Poland, Moldova, Romania, Hungary, um, and then through those corridors into Germany and elsewhere. Um, the world is not passively watching, but actively seeking to choke off Russia's ability to continue its assault. Um, and of note, I think that there are things happening that the Russian people will not be able to um, uh, deny. 
Uh, and so if you've been wondering, how are these economic sanctions actually affecting people to the point that everyday Russians would wake up and say, hey, somebody has lied to us, like something is up. The whole world is against us. Why is the whole world against us? Um, and you and you're say to yourself, well, how are they going to know that? Here, let me just give you this one example. So Apple has now stopped not only sales of all of its products, but also, also Apple is no longer supporting its services. That has rendered Apple Pay and other services associated with your iPhone or your MacBook, your Apple Watch, your AirPods. They're now disconnected from the services that made them operational. So you might have a a phone, um, but you no longer have access to your iCloud including iTunes or whatever else you might uh, be used to using. So, like Apple Pay. So you might be used to, um, in Russia, using Apple Pay. So you go to fill up your car with gas, the price of which has skyrocketed. And uh, the value of your ruble, by the way, is now um, almost nothing. You ordinarily pay with your Apple wallet, but that's been disabled. And so you pull out a credit card. But that doesn't work either because MasterCard, Visa, American Express, they have all severed their relationships with every bank over there. So you can't use that. So you pull out your debit card, hmm, and you look at it and you say, oh, my goodness, my debit card is also powered by MasterCard or Visa. So now you need cash. Well, where are you going to get that? Well, you're going to have to go to a physical bank and stand in line and withdraw physical cash that, by the way, is, again, uh, worth um, maybe like 50% of what it was worth two weeks ago. Um, And you're going to have to use a physical check to get that physical cash because, remember, your debit card doesn't work, even at the bank that issued it. Okay, so um, all of that is going on. Maersk and, um, and another huge shipping company, Uh, responsible for the overwhelming majority of cargo into Russia, have halted their bookings. You already know that Facebook, Twitter, Google um, are blocking Russian state media efforts. On the radio front, I thought I would bring you this this morning. The Kremlin forced the closure of Echo of Moscow. Echo of Moscow was Russia's like flagship, what we would call liberal radio station. And by liberal, we simply mean free speech. So they they forced the closure of Echo of Moscow. Um, they had to shut down not only their radio broadcast but also their website this morning. Um, in not in not in direct response to that, but as a part of its response, the BBC, uh, which is the most powerful radio system in the in the world, they relaunched a shortwave radio network that was last active during World War II, in order that they will be able to penetrate. Um, what some are describing as this new Iron Curtain separating the people of Russia from the rest of the world. So all of this is happening today, even as the Pentagon describes um, the Russian invasion now as a process of slow annihilation. We're going to talk with Kathy Branzell from the National Day of Prayer Task Force about how we can be praying with and for the Ukrainian people on all these fronts. Joining us now, Kathy Branzell from the National Day of Prayer Task Force. Kathy, welcome back. Hey, good morning. Let's uh, let's start with uh, the National Day of Prayer is two months away, but we don't really need to be waiting to pray, right? No, uh, no, we pray every day. Um, 
So many people say, you need to change the name of your ministry. It sounds like you only pray on one day. (laughs) (laughs) We pray every single day. We pray throughout the day and night. And we are so grateful. Uh, The first Thursday of May is just the celebration and culmination of 364 other days of prayer and a day for the nation to pray together. So where can people go to find information about uh, National Day of Prayer events, um, both in person and online? Yes, just go to nationaldayofprayer.org, nationaldayofprayer.org. You can find about, uh, you know, and more events will get posted the closer we get. But find out about events, find out about resources. If your church or if your neighborhood, your small group is going to have um, prayer together on the National Day of Prayer, we actually have a national prayer and a prayer guide that's written. You can get those on our website as well. And we appreciate you praying with us. Oh, I like March into March praying mm. for life. I like that. Yeah. That's a good little, that's got a good little ring to it. That's up on your, uh, on your website right now. You guys ought yeah. to check it out. National day of um, Kathy, I thought as, um, as I was th- thinking in advance about our conversation today, um, I am sure you are being asked by a lot of people and you've given a lot of personal thought and attention to the question of, you know, in light of all the news out of Ukraine, Mm -hmm. um, in light of the human suffering, um, how do we pray? Yes, Um, so many things. But uh, I I just want to say, first and foremost, we pray for, um, not against. And so... Uh, if you if you've got a pen ready, you know mm-hmm. here's a lot of things we can be praying about. Uh, if as you exalt the Lord, as you praise Him, so for example, the Prince of Peace, we cry out for peace over the Ukraine um, as a comforter, uh, comfort for those. There are so many people. I think uh, almost every one of us can name someone we know or that knows uh, someone we know that knows someone in the Ukraine has friends and family. And um, there is just this urgency and panic and um, to hear from their loved ones over there that they are safe. Um, and so uh, we want to pray comfort. We want to pray for our brothers and sisters over there in Russia and in the Ukraine. Um, and we want to pray for those who are fighting. We want to pray um, safety and a hedge of protection and wisdom over decision makers. We want to pray for a Damascus Road moment over President Putin. We, we have to realize that he is being held captive by the enemy, our real enemy, Satan. He is being held captive and we need to do search and rescue in the heavenlies that uh, he would have a Holy Spirit moment, experience, and be drawn out of the path of evil, out of the clutches of the evil one. And that, I mean, he could be the greatest glory story of our generation coming to Christ and realizing that he had been walking in darkness. And so we need to pray together for that to happen. I like the just the simple reminder that we pray for, not against. Um, we pray for people. We pray for peace. As the Prince of Peace chooses to bring it, we pray comfort. 
I'm praying that people would be comforted with the comfort with which I have been comforted, right? The very Mm -hmm. comfort of the knowledge of the gospel and the reality of God's sovereignty, um, the, um, the secret of being content in every circumstance. Um, that's, that's one in particular. I've been praying for light to shine in places of darkness. I've been praying for, um, um, for people to be able to feel the very palpable presence of God, um, you know, by, by his Holy spirit. So praying for is very empowering. It's very, very empowering. Um, and I've been praying for Putin as well. Mm -hmm. I'm wondering if, um, you know, when we, when we're praying for, um, our brothers and sisters in Christ, I'm wondering if there are some nuances to that, because I recognize that my brothers and sisters in Christ in Ukraine are, are challenged in one way or in a set of ways. And my brothers and sisters in Christ in Russia are challenged in a different set of ways. I'm wondering when you're, when you're, so when you're praying for our brothers and sisters in Christ, can you just talk about some of the nuances there? Well, and even maybe people can't imagine um, being over there. And so even just thinking about here at home, how your brother and sister in Christ across the street, you know, is going through a different set of challenges or trials of the people we sit with in church every single week. You know, there's a there's a thousand stories uh, sitting in church right there next to you. And so um, praying in the spirit, just asking the Holy Spirit to prompt you and to pray uh, God's wisdom, we would pray that they would have clarity, that they um, would follow the voice of God, the word of God, that they would be obedient, that they would not compromise uh, their faith, that they would um, love one another in remarkable ways, that glory stories would come out of this on both sides of this war. And and uh, just trying to understand, we need to be praying for the refugee uh, those who are fighting and those who are fleeing, we need to be praying. But, um, you know, I just can't imagine being a Russian Christian right now and watching my country do what it's doing and the, the guilt, the shame. And so pray that they would be praying for their president as well to uh, come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ and come to his senses. So we're going to talk um, in a moment um, with Kathy about specifically how we might be praying for President Putin. Um, Jim texting in this morning from Connecticut, just acknowledging my heart is really rock hard about Putin. It's a hard, mm-hmm. it's hard for me to pray for him. So we're going to talk about that in just a moment. And I just want to, um, I just want to ask you to imagine this. Just, just, just hold this question in your mind for just a moment. Before Saul became Paul. Mm. Do you imagine that there were Christians in the early church praying for his conversion as he was headed to Damascus uh, to round them up, uh, to haul them out of their homes, to have them killed, to seek their life? Do you imagine that there were Christians actively praying for the conversion of Saul to become Mm. Paul? And can you imagine the history of the church without him? I can't even imagine the Bible without him. We're going to continue this conversation with Kathy Branzell from the National Day of Prayer Task Force in just a moment. 
God's people are going to have their witness. They're going to have their witness. Uh, God is going to shine forth light in darkness. He is going to um, break silence with songs of praise. Uh, He's going to be glorified. God is going to get his glory. Um, And I know that that is hard for us to see and acknowledge as we are um, facing images of and listening to the sounds of um, war. Mm real war, real people um, dying in real streets in a real war. Um, Kathy uh, Branzell is joining us from the National Day of Prayer Task Force. You can find uh, her and resources at nationaldayofprayer.org. Kathy, let's talk a little bit about um, praying for Putin. You talked about praying for a Damascus Road moment for Putin, um, that he is held captive by the real enemy, um, that he is he is himself a prisoner of war, operating right. out of um, a particular worldview. You know, uh, I'm getting a little pushback from listeners who are saying, um, you know, yes, I want to, uh, I, I want God to change his heart. Don't you think he's already made his choice? He's pretty far gone. Yeah, but he is nobody pretty, is, he is pretty far, far gone. gone. <laughs> yeah. No, uh, yes, he is far, far gone. I think maybe when we know people over here in the U.S. that we would say are far gone. But until you take your last breath, you are not too far gone from the reach of God. And so um, there are many, many, many people who have made horrific and horrible and painful and sinful, sinful, sinful decisions throughout their life. Um, But they are not too far gone from the reach of God. And this is really an obedience moment because Jesus said, love your enemies that we're supposed to pray and not curse them. And and so I don't want my heart to get hard, and I don't want to commit the sin of judgment because my I don't I don't fit on that seat. God alone is the ancient of days. God alone is the judge. And so um, uh, it's an obedience moment for us to say, Lord, um, he is not beyond your reach. It is not for me to judge him and in obedience to you and wanting to keep my the soil of my heart soft, I obey you and I pray for him. And there, there's a couple of things here. First of all, I, I've been challenging people to pray for others as they would, we, we all know that, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. So I have been saying, pray for others as you would have others pray for your children and grandchildren. Because I I get on a lot of prayer calls and I hear people not praying for people, praying against them, praying Mm -hmm. damnation and, and, you know, just uh, judgment and, and all kinds of horrible things. And I think, what if you heard somebody pray for your child or your grandchild with those words? With, that's that's not glorifying to God. I want to glorify God with my prayers. So pray for others as you would have them pray for your loved ones. And the second thing is, if we have time to complain about it, we have time to pray about it. And mm. so instead of praising Satan with our complaints and our grumblings, we need to step into heaven and um, enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise, saying, Lord, I know you can do it. I know you are able, and yes, we've been given free will, and yes, 
Putin is exercising free will, but Lord, let him encounter you, we pray. Let him know your love. Let him know you as the author of his days and that he is off course. Bring him to the destiny that you designed for him that brings glory to your kingdom, that fulfills the purposes that you gave him life for. Those are the kind of prayers we pray for Putin and for others that we know are not walking with the Lord. Mm. Um, someone asked, um, does uh, Vladimir Putin have children and grandchildren for whom I might be praying? Um, we we do know that he has two daughters. It's rumored that it's possible he has three. Mm-hmm. Um, I think his daughters are like 35 and 30. Um, and so uh, don't know whether or not either of um, those two young women have children. Um, but yeah, that is a good way to for me to pray. It humanizes him um, when I want to demonize him. And it also occurs to me, Kathy, that um, hell is hell and hell is real. Yes. And living um, in, a, in a denial of the sovereignty and the goodness and the grace of God and the value of human life here and now um, is the hell that that people like Putin who deny God's sovereignty and power, like he's already living in that. Like, and I, and that grieves me. It should grieve my heart that a person would be living apart from God right now. Um, And yes, it grieves me that a person who is not reconciled to the father through the son by the Holy spirit is going to experience hell for all eternity. But I'm, Mm -hmm. I'm worried about him now. Like I, I don't want to wait to worry about what happens to him after he dies. And again, I'm not speaking judgment over him. I'm not judging his heart. Thank you for those of you raising that concern. We are praying for him. We are praying that God would uh, bring a conviction of sin upon this man, that he would enlighten uh, the eyes of his heart, that he would see people for what they are, precious image bearers of the living God, and that the kingdom of God would matter more to him than whatever um, he currently has his imagine, imagination set on in terms of the kingdoms of this world. Yes, that he would Ooh. experience. It, remember, we've said this a hundred times in our years as friends together. Every fruit has a root. So that the Holy Spirit would get to the root of um, why he's made the choices he's made and that he would experience the love that he has never experienced before, that he would experience the love of God, his creator. Um, And can you imagine? I mean, I just imagine the glory story. And until then, until it happens, we just keep praying. And, and I, I, you know, I'm sure there's people going, okay, let's get back to talking about the people suffering in the Ukraine. Absolutely. Uh, uh, you mm-hmm. know, set your set your watch if you need to put a prayer prompt out in your house or your car that just reminds you um, as as you take a bite of food, pray for the people who are starving and on the run and running out of food in the Ukraine. Um, mm-hmm. On and on it goes. Pray continually for what mm-hmm. is going on, because the real battle um, is going on in the heavenlies. And we get to armor up and enter into that heavenly battle when we pray. Kathy, as always, um, thank you so much for 
bringing us into the throne room and equipping us to uh, kneel there before the Father that we would um, present to him the concerns and desires of our hearts and that in Christ Jesus, he would hear us. Uh, Thank you so much as always. That's Kathy Branzell from the National Day of Prayer Task Force. You can find all kinds of National Day of Prayer resources at nationaldayofprayer.org. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LaBurge, and this is Faith Radio. Hey, would you pray with me today for Darius? Um, I met Darius yesterday. He is a brother in Christ. He's a genuine joy. Um, Darius grew up in the southeastern United States, but he never heard the gospel. Uh, And God brought him under what he describes as a conviction of past sins. But, you know, if you don't know God and you don't know the gospel, then you don't really know what that is or what's going on. He didn't know why he was feeling the way he was feeling. Um, God brought him into intersection with uh, a co-worker at that point at Home Depot. And that guy just came right out and said, dude, God's bringing you under a conviction of sin. And Darius was like, what does that mean? And um, Darius says God was speaking to him directly through that other man. Um, And that man shared the gospel with Darius and the spirit had already primed him to receive and respond. And on January 8th, 2021, Darius shared with me yesterday um, that he was transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. He was baptized last Easter, and let me just tell you, he's so shiny. He's radiant. So let's not miss any divine opportunities that God may have set for us today. Thanks for listening to, share to the this gospel podcast with Heart Mornings with Carmen LaBerge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.